I'm ready. And welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, Polyam fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off the podcast where we discuss polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, lifestyle, swinger, open relationships, personal growth and development. I'm Monsada, your co-discusser. I'm Bella, the other co-discusser. And we are here to discuss her with you. (laughs) We're a little loopy. Don't mind us. Negative ghostwriter. The pattern is full. I am not loopy. Uh, okay. I got nothing. <laughs> that was all. The end. Perfect. That was the end of the episode. Thank you for tuning in. So this comes out on Tuesday after my surgery. Yes. I will be posting a video, maybe something in our Instagram stories. Just some sort of quick little update post-op once I'm awake and everything's good. So everybody knows all is good and well. So I will let you guys know. Yeah, so we're doing a little pre-op work of our own. Yeah. <laughs> by bringing this to you. We didn't want you guys to miss out on a week's episode, so here we are today. You're welcome. Thank you. So, here we are. <laughs> still, we're still here. <laughs> Guess the show's not over. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we've done it before, and I think we should revisit it again. Have we done this before? I think so. Really early on. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's these same ones, but the same topic. All right. So we're going to cover a few uh, common myths about polyamory. Myth conceptions, you might say. Myth conceptions. That's, that's good. <laughs> I get it. Like, misconception. <laughs> Myths. Go ahead. <laughs> So there's a handful that we've got to cover today. The first of which is, and you know, I heard this from my mom when I first came out as polyamorous. Um, it's all about sex, all sex all the time. Lots of orgies. It's like a swinger key party. Right. I've heard that quite a bit, actually. Right. Actually, I didn't know what a key party was until, I don't know, this is like eight or nine years ago where I was at a company dinner and there was a lot of conversation going on and... It came out to, I don't want to say HR, but someone, maybe it was HR, that I was polyamorous. And it it was a pretty chill group. It wasn't like, oh no, now it's termination time. (laughs) It was actually a pretty chill group. There was all of us that worked at the plant, and there was like six or seven of us. Small plant, offshoot of a bigger global corporation. Sure. And the HR person was visiting from across the state. The site manager there, the site manager and I always gave each other shit. And at one point he mentioned something about it and the HR was like, oh, so like you get involved in key parties. <laughs> and I legitimately didn't know what that was. And I'm like, uh, could you explain that to me? <laughs> so they had to explain that a key party is where everyone, when they show up, they put their keys in the bowl. Mm-hmm. And when you go home, you're choosing a key out of the bowl, and that's who you go home with? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Everybody makes their own little homebrew rules around it. Right. So I I was flabbergasted, and I didn't know, like, why I've never done that before. (laughs) Sounds like a good good party. Right. And then, you know, side note, later that night, I ended up driving my boss and the HR lady down to a strip club in another town. (laughs) (laughs) That's like your own version of a key party. Yeah. But yeah, so I knew what they were. But when I had come out as polyamorous to my parents, that was my mom's, like, first question. Are you being safe? And is this, like, a key party thing? So the first question (laughs) I would have asked mom was, how do you know what a key party is? Right? Yeah. 
I'm sorry, can you define key party? <laughs> so a big myth about polyamory is it's all about sex all the time. There's lots of orgies. I mean... It can be. Would that be so wrong? <laughs> I personally am a fan of sex. Yeah. And I like group activities. I love orgies. Yeah. But if we're going to talk about this, it's not really always true. No, it's not. And that's not what it's based on, especially if you broke the word polyamory down. Right. It can include all the fun sexual activities, but that's not what it's really based on at its core. No, it's based on loving people. Sometimes that means that you're dating someone who may be asexual, mm -hmm. or you may be asexual, which means no sex at all. Or very, very rare, and right. on certain occasions. You find yourself with demisexual people, you might just partner with somebody who sex is not part of your relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that's totally cool, too. In fact, when I was re-exploring polyamory, I was... Of course, I was like, man, that means I'm going to have more sexual partners. And, <laughs> you know, there's not going to be the lulls between sex time because my higher sex drive is going to be fulfilled by more people. Right. I was excited about that. And I found out the hard way that, no, that's not entirely the case. More <laughs> partners does not automatically equate to more sex. Yep. And I actually have found that I've had less sex while practicing polyamory in those last 15 years. Yeah than I did when I was <laughs> even in the monogamous relationship or before when I didn't know what polyamory was and I just shared partners. Right, right. So, yeah, there's actually less sex in some of my experience. So, that's a false myth buster. It can include orgies, but isn't based on and isn't all about the orgies. Let's call it 80% false. Okay. Because I'm sure that there's still a lot of people that do include more sex Absolutely. in their relationship. And you can even have the crossing between, you know, non-monogamy in the polyamorous realm and the swinger realm. Right. And just open relationships. They can all kind of Venn diagram together and put a person in the middle of all of them. Right. So I guess it's not a matter of the scenario specifically, but in general, polyamory isn't the practice of more sex. Right. Right, right. So I guess that's where we would go with that. It's the practice of more love. Yep. The sex might be there and it might not. Either way. I didn't know we were doing this whole false or true at the end. No, because they're all false. These are all myths. Oh. I just wanted to say false and punch my fist through the air. Hiya! Did you just cancel me? <laughs> okay, the next one we got is polyamory is for people who are afraid to commit or people who are afraid of attachment. Mm. I've been accused of this. Really? Yep. I can't I don't I don't see that. In fact, I've been accused of this as recently as I want to say 14 months ago. Interesting. Yeah, with someone that I was starting to date and got told that I just had commitment and attachment <laughs> issues. And that's why I was doing what I was doing. Weird. That's funny. But the ironic thing is is that she was also practicing polyamory so it was i was accused of this by someone who was also polyamorous i once dated someone who talked about polyamorous people as those people even though he was in the poly world doing the thing but those people <laughs> i feel like we're almost brewing a whole different episode right here it was a good time is it true in your experience that you are polyamorous because you're afraid to commit or afraid to attach. No. I, in fact, have experienced some of the opposite, where people attach too quickly and too hard. <laughs> I feel called out. No. No. <laughs> Almost like people are too quick to put labels on things because they get so excited and they want all the partners and all the things. And so, in my experience, I've run across more people who are like, yeah, let's call us something let's put some label and title of some sort on it and let's commit in some way whatever works for us i guess i've seen that too yeah i have also gone on dates with people who were monogamous mm -hmm. and i'm pretty upfront right away because i want to make sure that they're not blindsided by oh i thought we were going to be in a relationship and now i find out that i have competition <laughs> with current partners and I have been asked by monogamous people I've gone out on a date on 
is this a commitment issue thing? <laughs> is it just a fling thing? And and that's fair and mm-hmm. that's valid. Sometimes people do want the one night stands and, and just the non-committal friends with benefits. Right. I, I know I've done it. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. But it is often thought of that polyamorous people, because they have multiple partners, they're afraid to commit to one person. Well, it's so interesting because I think commitment can look like different things in each relationship. How you commit and why you commit and how long this commitment is for or whatever. Like it could look different in each relationship. And I know for me, for myself, while I will never legally get married again, Mm -hmm. I would love to have commitment ceremonies. And I know you and I have talked about doing something like a hand fasting in the future. But if I was in other relationships that were going to stick around for a while, I would have no problem doing other ceremonies and bringing other people in and making it our own. And I mean, committing to a relationship doesn't have to be forever. Well, and I think that might be where the issue lies, why this is often perceived as a polyamorous problem, Hmm. is that the culture that we're raised in is that you find that one true person, you stay with them forever, you have a wife, kids, the white picket fence, all that stuff that we've talked about a long time ago. Right. You grow old and die with this one person. And that's commitment. It's almost like if you're thinking about it psychologically, it's an all or nothing statement. Mm, Very much. You either commit completely, sign your name in blood. Till death do us part. And never look at anyone that you might be attracted to (laughs) again in your freaking life. That sounds so crazy to me. Or you don't commit at all. Right. And I think that's where the issue is, is that it's not providing area for the grayscale. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's really in that grayscale where we can find real and valid, genuine examples of committing Mm -hmm. without thinking that it's forever, always, until you're dead. You and I are committed, Mm -hmm. and we don't know what our future holds. We're comfortable with, while we're here in the moment, we are going to be together. We've joked that it's got to last like five years because there's a loan... (laughs) Right, so we're committed to paying off a loan. <laughs> I have felt commitment and attachment to people. Mm-hmm. I recently lost a long-distance relationship, but I didn't lose that friendship. We talk every day, mm-hmm. and we're probably just as close now as we were then. Right. We've just basically kind of taken some of the expectation out, and we still care about each other, and we still love each other, and we still talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, commitment takes different forms. And if you're willing to see that commitment, you don't need to put a time limit on it. And you don't need to put all these other expectations on it. You can still commit your heart and your attention to somebody. Absolutely. I think you're spot on with the, like, general public sees commitment as this lifetime thing. And if it's not the lifetime, they don't quite comprehend and understand it because they've never experienced anything other than the lifetime commitment. Or maybe some of their judgment comes from fear of being abandoned. Yeah. And I know my parents also have this fear that I'll be alone. You know, if there's no ring on the finger and legal documents signed, then they could leave me at any time and I'm going to be left alone. But in all fairness, that could happen in a marriage too. Right. And I've been there, done that, had a divorce. I I know that it doesn't matter if the people involved are committed to each other. This whole legality of it doesn't matter. To me. So uh, this one's false also, obviously, because it's the myth episode. We do commit and we do find attachment to people and you can be attached in many different ways. I'm very attached to your wiener. Yeah, he's hurting. He is hurting. He's a little whiny these days. Something's wrong. I think he's got a back problem right now. My dachshund last night was showing some issues and so he's being medicated and pampered today. That was kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> Just showing my different levels of attachment. Well, and that's cool, too, because, like, you can be romantically attached to somebody and not have a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. You can feel feelings. You can, I mean, there's so many different ways. You can be committed to your friends or your job and all these or things. Or kids in relationships. Right. You know, like, if you and I were to ever split, I'm sure me and your kids would maintain some sort of relationship. Right. You know? 
there's a lot of levels to it. And I think that this myth comes from the concept of the all or nothing state. Yeah. So myth number four that we've got. Number three. Oh, man, I can count. Polyamory causes an increased risk of STIs. Well, what do you think? I think that anyone who engages in sexual activity has an increased risk of STIs over someone who is not engaged in sexual activities. I don't think polyamory has anything to do with it. I think it's just a person's choice of sexual activities. I believe that this comes from the concept that we're all sluttier, which is something we'll get to later. But the concept is because we're sleeping with more people, we're increasing percentage-wise. And by base math, okay, I could see where that's coming from. But that's off the assumption that we're sleeping with more people. True. I've been polyamorous for a decade, but for the last over four years, I've been sleeping with one person. (laughs) Right. Well, and then here's the other thing. Where this becomes false is the discussion around protected sex. Mm -hmm. And I have seen no better communication involving STIs and protected sex than I have in the polyamorous circle. People are aware that this is a potential and people don't want to have or spread diseases. Yep. And because in the polyamorous community, there's a lot more open and honest communication because we have to be for our own safety and the safety of others. The conversation around STIs and sexual protection is far more prevalent than I've ever seen it anywhere else. Yeah, the only other place that I could say is on an equal level with the non-monogamy community in general is the kink community because right. they're so consent-based and it's they go kind of hand-in-hand as far as the STI and sexual health and safety discussions go. Right. But absolutely, like I've never seen so many people be like, oh, we're on a first date. Cool. How, what is your sexual activity like? And how many people are you fluid bonded with? And let me see your test results. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that discussion is out there in the open almost from day one for a lot of people. Right. And looking at it from the realm of monogamy Mm -hmm. is that you find your person, you end up probably having non-protected sex because there's no threat level or what have you. Right. Then after some time, after the NRE wears off and the relationship's getting stale, there's a possibility that someone's cheating. Mm -hmm. And a cheat is kind of an impulsive behavior. Right. And I'm speaking about all this without judgment. I'm not judging anybody for any of this. But if you're going to cheat, then you're going to act impulsively in regards to your relationships. And if you're more inclined to act impulsively in regards to your relationships in that aspect, then the idea of unprotected sex doesn't often play as heavy a factor. Right. So if you're going to cheat, there's also the possibility that Oftentimes it's in the moment, mm-hmm. you weren't expecting it, and if you're monogamous all the time, and you, you're probably not going to carry condoms around. Right, and you're not going to have an STI discussion with a new person, right? because it's impulsive. And in the heat of the moment, whoops, <laughs> just had unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. Never had a discussion, never had the protection, and now because you need to hide this, you're going to take it back to your partner and potentially infect a partner. Right. So while I guess on a base level the percentage of partners would theoretically increase the percentage of STIs. Right. The the openness and discussions that happen in polyamory, I think, are what drives those percentages way low. I agree. And and the impulsiveness of of affairs would drive the other side up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I would say that ultimately it either washes out or we're probably a little bit lower. Definitely. And while we're on the topic of cheating, I'm going to skip over the next one to talk about the cheating myth poly is just another way to cheat oh well no no just no you can cheat in poly just like you can cheat in monogamy Uh but poly in itself is not an excuse for cheating some people use it that way and i've absolutely run into people who were like yeah my wife and i are open and we just have a don't ask don't tell so let's hook up and then come to find out You don't have a don't ask, don't tell. You have a I'm cheating on my wife relationship. Right. I actually encountered that once on FetLife. Yeah. Yeah. I got contacted by a person who was really into like my profile. We had a conversation or two. 
and then they wanted to connect and maybe have a kink scene mm-hmm. and do some things which would lead to sex. And I saw that they had partners or a partner and I asked what the partner felt about that and if there was already discussion there. Right. And they gave me the same DADT thing, don't ask, don't tell. I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> Something just seemed off. <laughs> so so I had to say, look, I need to know from your partner that this is an option. And if they, there is a DADT, then all I need is the consent from the partner. And then we can talk further. Right. I got ghosted. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, I mean, it happens everywhere to yeah. everybody. So how do you cheat in poly? That's always a question with this. Well, by not... I mean, cheating is cheating. Right, right? but how? So like... So in, in a scenario, let's just say that I'm really hitting it off with this girl and we're talking about meeting up and stuff. And then I tell you, I'm going to go out and maybe spend time with my wife or something. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to go out with excuse number seven. <laughs> and then I don't go do that. Instead, I go to this person and we do the bangerang all mm-hmm. day. And then I come home acting like nothing ever happened, and then I'll never talk about that. So it's more along the lines of breaking boundaries and being deceitful and hiding things is a cheat I mean, poly. cheating is cheating no yeah. matter what your relationship configuration is. Right. Versus where had you just said, hey, I'm connecting with so-and-so. I'm going to meet up with this person. We're going to hang out. Probably going to fuck all day. Right. And I'd be like, oh, cool, have fun. Sounds like you're really into them. Right. That wouldn't, same situation, same scenario where you're going out, only there's some open and honest communication and your current existing partners are aware that's no longer cheating versus the other situation where it's the same hookup, but deceit and boundary broken. Right. So in my eyes, cheating on a relationship is not the act of having sex with someone else or even being romantic or intimate with someone mm-hmm. else. It's the act of hiding your behaviors from your partners. Yeah. So that's cheating. And while that does happen in polyamory, I've seen it plenty of times, mm-hmm. it's often more encouraged to talk about your new connections or potential partners and stuff. And then the discussion happens and it's not cheating because it's fully consensual on all sides. Right. Absolutely. So while polyamory in itself is not a way to cheat, some people use it as an excuse, Mm -hmm. and you can absolutely still cheat in poly. Yepper. So then let's jump back to the other myth that we were talking about, is that polyamory doesn't work over time. And (laughs) I think that this is often said in a way of, Well, and it kind of ties to it's just a phase. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't work over time because you can't commit to three people over a long period of time because then what happens? Who lives with who? Who gets married? Who has whose kids? And and after some time, some people are going to get jealous or they aren't going to be able to take it. It's so funny. What about when you get old? Yeah, the box that like society and the general population kind of put over relationships with you can't do this with three people. Right. Well, right. why not? <laughs> but why not? I mean, is any of that legitimate? No, you can totally move in together and you could all have kids together. And right. like the whole thing is not true. <laughs> well, okay. So like we could, we could look at it though. I, oh, a couple of years back, I was reading an article that interviewed this woman who was in a triad. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really called a triad because all people involved were like over 80 years old, (laughs) which I found interesting just by itself. Right. But these three people, it was like a man and two women Mm -hmm. and the women were friends and one of them was partnered with the man and then the other one ended up falling in love with the man. And so they existed together, all three of them. And I think they went so far as to like an elderly home, an elderly care facility. And they all existed as their, their triad. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the interviewer was trying to make it seem like a really bad thing. Right. Because at one point, one of the women were talking about how she gets lonely sometimes Mm -hmm. and misses her, her man sometimes. and, And that connection when he's not with her. And so the whole focus of this ended up turning into you're going to become lonely and alone (laughs) and 
you're not going to be loved or any. You know, See, and that's so crazy, too, to me, because I think we all need to learn how to be alone a little better. And mm -hmm. I think for me, in my experience, growing up monogamous, you learn you have to be in a relationship all the time. Like, that's yeah. the goal of life is to be in relationship. And so, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, I didn't know how to be alone with myself or what to do in that space or how to be my own person because it was always so wrapped up in whatever relationship I was in. And in polyamory, yeah, sure, you get lonely sometimes. It's kind of a part of life. And I've learned, especially over the last few years, who I am, what are my hobbies that are just me and mine alone? And we've all heard me say it before, how much I love my alone time. Now that's different than being lonely and when you're sad or down and you're like, man, I really need some cuddles. That's just something to express to a partner, you know, and, right. and manage that. But learning to love your alone time, I think is actually a good thing. Well, and if we're going to be fair on opposite sides of the fence here, if there is such a thing that when I was in a monogamous relationship, it was a long-term relationship with my wife. Her and I both at different times expressed that we felt lonely. We felt alone. Yeah. It was her and I. We were not pursuing other partners. And there were times in our relationship where we felt lonely. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. Loneliness is going to happen whether you have one partner or 100 partners. Or zero partners. Well, <laughs> I felt like that was kind of assumed. <laughs> but it's not a poly-specific thing. Right. And that's where I think the myth comes from, as far as the loneliness part, is that it's assumed that because you're poly, you're going to miss out on time. But the reality is, if you're in a relationship, it's not always roses and rainbows. Mm -hmm. You're going to have loneliness. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're polyamorous or not. Yeah. And this whole idea of, you know, it's just a phase and it's not going to work over time... So what if it doesn't work over time, like a lifetime? Right. Not all relationships are meant to be a lifetime. And even if it was a phase, you're getting to experience something that you wouldn't have been able to experience otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, getting that, it's going to be getting that experience again, adds to your lifetime of stories. Right. You know? And then if I take this even further, when I was 18, I was just going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. I got married pretty early. And I didn't want to commit. And so I was just open to whatever relationship came my way. And I let any of my potential partners know that, like, I'm going to do my thing. If we want to do our thing together, that's cool. But we're not exclusive. Right. And I had a while where I was non-monogamous. And I kept being told it was just a phase. It was just a phase. You're going to grow out of it. <laughs> And so in my head, I was like, okay, it's just a phase. I'm going to find the one true and I'm going to grow out of it. And I tried to come back out of it to go back into monogamy because that's the responsible adult thing to do. <laughs> I was good for a while, but I became more and more miserable because I need to be able to connect with people. And the more that I was out of it, the more I missed it, the more I tried to go back to it. And eventually I found my way back to it. And I embraced it openly because it's not a phase. Right. Not everyone wants to be polyamorous and that's fine. But for those of us who feel that and want that and that's a part of our life, that's it. It's a part of our life. It's yeah. not a phase. Right. That's who I am. And if it doesn't work over time, because what, the three partners or five partners or seven partners that I'm having right now aren't all going to be there at the end of the race of life. <laughs> That's fine. Some of them are going to come and some of them are going to go and we're going to pick up new ones. We're going to say goodbye to old ones, but we're still going to be polyamorous at the end of the race of life. Right. I mean, I could be with one person and still identify as polyamorous because I'm open to connecting and loving multiple people. Right. doesn't mean that I have to have five partners at the end of the line in order to get my card stamped at the gate that I was poly. Right. <laughs> and it also doesn't mean that our poly commune all has to work to live in the same elderly care all facility right. <laughs> at the end of our age. Right? <laughs> it just means that this is who we are and this is what we feel and this is what we're okay practicing. Right. So it does work over time. Totally does. And I've seen lots of 
couples and thruples and quads who make it work for many years. Yeah. Many, many years. Many. Next myth is a good one. Polyamory people are easy or slutty. True. Those whores. That's me. Yeah. I'm a whore. A whore. (laughs) Also not true. No. (laughs) I think my standards have raised since becoming polyamorous. Mm -hmm. Because it's not... I guess the the thing with TikTok (laughs) is thirst traps. Right. Right? Because this is a person trying to gain attention from someone who looks at them in a romantic or sexual way, you're not as thirsty because you know that you have multiple fountains to drink from. Right, right. As dirty as that might sound. (laughs) You can still be polyamorous and love sex and do no strings attached and friends with benefits in addition to your multiple loving relationship partners. That doesn't make anyone good or bad. Easy or slutty are such derogatory words. You know, the ethical slut. Read that book. Nothing wrong with being a slut or a whore or whatever you want to call yourself. Am I going to walk up to someone and be like, oh my God, girl, you're such a slut. No, probably not. Because I don't want to offend her if that word is not in her vocabulary. Right. But I have heard that used as an affectionate term between friends. Totally. Here's another one that people don't like. And my ex-girlfriend and I used to throw it around all the time at each other in a totally affectionate way, was cunt. God, you're such a cunt. And it was like a a term of endearment. And if we were around people that didn't know us, the look on their face, like they would lose their shit. Like, why are you not kicking her ass right now? Right. And it was like, no, that's like, you know, saying, oh, my love for us. Like, it was good. Well, and that's like, I'm proud to be a whoer. Yeah. Right. I'm okay with it. It just means you're embracing your sexual identity and activity. And I would encourage other people to do it as well. I don't care what your gender is. Like, I don't want to turn this into, oh, it's okay for guys to do it because that's the gender acceptance. I don't care. If you are proud of being promiscuous, then good. Like, if you are promiscuous, be proud of it. Because it's not a bad thing. No, and I think, honestly, we gain so much experience. We learn what we like and what we don't like and how to maneuver in a sexual situation. Mm -hmm. And it's increased confidence. I know when we go to the adult clubs in town, you know, I'm a big gal. Not for much longer, but I'm a big gal. And I can walk around half naked in an adult club and get loads of attention. And it's such a confidence boost. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with embracing your sexual side, but there's no difference between a monogamous person and a polyamorous person. It's, again, a sexual person. Mm -hmm. Well, and I don't think that polyamory fits into the stigma, the bad stigma of sluttiness. Right. I think that most of the polyamorous people I've encountered are much more mindful of the partners they choose. Mm Mm-hmm aren't feeling so so much of a need to be pushed into a sexual situation. I think there's a lot more sexual liberation, which is never something that should be judged negatively. No, so if they want to identify as slutty and feel like they can fuck whoever they want, more power to you. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. So this whole negative idea with poly people are easy or slutty, so what if they are? It's nothing to do with polyamory. It has to do with the person. But I also think it's a myth. Because of the fact that they're aware of who they are and what they mm-hmm. want, they're not just hopping into the sack of everyone that they want to hop in. You know, right, right. Oh, I saw that person at the bar. Or that was my Uber driver. Or, <laughs> you know, like... They're, they're taking care of who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that that makes them... I think it's actually more empowering coming from the woman's side for me to be like, I am choosing to sleep with you, 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 and you. Like, this is my power, and I'm going to do with it what I will. Nobody tell me who I can or cannot sleep with. Right. You know, it's actually quite empowering. Well, and I think speaking, I guess, a little bit to that is the concept that maybe it's an unspoken thing, that it's assumed that you pick your one person for life, right? Mm -hmm. And supposedly, that's the only person you've ever had sex with. <laughs> when that ain't true. <laughs> you know, we've all done our phase where we're exploring, mm-hmm. we're adventuring. 
if you happen to go into monogamy after your adventure period, then you do. But I think I think some of that judgment comes from that assumption. Yeah. That you have your one true person and you've never been sullied by other <laughs> human hands. Sullied. <laughs> so then the next one mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about is thanks in large to some popular TV shows and the like, is that polyamory is just a way for guys to collect sister wives or have a harem. Oh, no. How do you feel about that? Well, personally, I really love when a meta comes into the picture that I can get along with and have this great friendship with. And if we all play together at times, cool, but like no pressure. I love that idea. Yeah. If we could create our own little pod commune on a piece of land and we all have our own homes and invite whatever partners we want in and out, I am down for that scenario. However, if somebody approaches me and wants me to join their little harem and I'm not allowed to date anyone else, I'm not allowed to date another man and it's all one penis policy style, I am not cool with that. I still want my autonomy and my freedoms to fall for whoever I want to fall for. Fuck whoever I want to fuck. I'm good with that. Polyamory being all about the sister wives and technically, what is it, polygamy is that term? Yeah. Now, there are so many women that we know that have multiple male partners. There are so many uh, gender non-binary folks that we know that have... Partners of all different sorts. It yeah. doesn't, it's not about this whole one man and his sister wife harem. Right. And I think that the opposite is actually true is that, you know, it's the male figure has historically been the prominent, you know, the, the provider or the, the rule maker and, you know, the one in charge. Right. And in polyamory, I feel like that is not true. <laughs> At all. Right. And I think that it's not male-driven, and generally it's not polygamy. Like, if you find a, a man who has multiple partners, mm-hmm. just say for the sake of this discussion, multiple sister-wife-type partners, mm-hmm. that's actually the exception to the rule. That's the rule true. is generally that this is a female or a gender non-binary dominated culture, mm-hmm. and the man just does what he can to exist properly. Well, and I think in general, the polyamorous community does a lot to fight the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. So if you're a cis dude coming into the polyamory world and you're trying to puff up your chest and, you know... Establish dominance. Yeah, it's not going to go over so well in this community in general. Maybe there's some other small sects across the country where it would... But here in the greater Portland area, where our, most of our experience is, that's, that's not the culture. Right. So I think that a lot of this comes from media, mm-hmm. TV, maybe a couple of movies, where you see the man with multiple girlfriends and you're thinking, wow, you know, what a pimp. That must be what all of polyamory is. And it certainly is not. Nope. Uh, this is always a good one. Polyamorous people don't experience jealousy or heartbreak. <laughs> That's a flat lie. <laughs> it, well, and I think, you know, like a lot of these, it comes from personal insecurities or fears or judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, oh, well, if they're willing to have multiple partners, then they're just going to make them all disposable. Totally well, not they, the case. If they have multiple partners, they must not get jealous of anything, right. obviously. Oh, don't you ever get jealous? Well, yeah. Yes. We do. <laughs> It happens. Not everyone. I mean, I, I've heard of people who just never get jealous. My ex-girlfriend claims she doesn't feel jealousy, although I think it was her partners, too. I think she felt jealousy with certain people, like the new guy that she's with mm-hmm. feels jealousy with him. Right. So I think it, it depends on relationships, too. The configuration. Yeah. And then I just think that we do so much open communicating and we do sit in some of that alone time to to process thoughts and feelings that we've learned how to manage the jealousy. Right. We've figured out what triggers it and we know how to manage it. Well, and then jumping over to the heartbreak side is you're actually going to develop more heartbreak because of the fact that, you know, as I've said, that people will come into your life and then they will leave your life mm-hmm. in some degree or another. And there are some people that, have left my life that I'm still a little heartbroken about. And right. A few years back, I was dating a girl in Portland mm-hmm. and 
I still think about her to this day. When we separated, she wanted to do her own thing. And, you know, she was totally private from all of it in the beginning. And so I just respected her privacy and left her alone. But I still think about her and I still miss her. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I think we can feel the heartbreak on multiple sides. Like, right, I'm out and dating and I'm on multiple dating apps. Not all these people that I talk to are polyamorous. Oftentimes you end up talking to a monogamous person and saying, hey, by the way, I'm polyamorous and I currently live with a boyfriend. Is that okay? Can you handle that? Right. And a lot of the times they say no. Like that's not up there. That's not their cup of tea. Not something they can handle. And then if we had been having some really good conversation, man, that's heartbreaking. Oh, I was so connected to this person and really excited. Right. And they just can't handle my lifestyle. So you get heartbreak in the dating world. You get heartbreak from lost relationships. Although I will say if you have an existing relationship when you lose another that softens the blow, I think, because you have someone there to help console you and help you through the hard heartbreak part. I think sometimes that also affects your current relationships negatively yeah. as, well, as well. If you're going through the heartbreak, it's harder for you to give that love to somebody because mm-hmm. you're still feeling hurt. Like going lost. on a fun, sexy time date with the current partner is like, I don't feel like it because I'm still over here mourning this one. Is that right. what you mean? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's potential for more support but also potential for more further complications yeah absolutely so there's definitely heartbreak Uh, i think that if i were to give my best feelings here is that when you do separate with somebody and you know you sever your romantic or intimate relationship or even sexual relationship as long as you're both mature enough to be able to stay friends then you can still have some of that heart with that person Mm -hmm even if it has changed and looks differently. Absolutely. Like I I still have friends who I previously dated, was romantic with or sexual with, Mm -hmm. and I still love them deeply and they still love me and we still communicate. And it's, it's a lot easier than, you know, the other type of breakup where it's got to be explosive and damaging and there's a lot of shit talking afterwards and you just burn that bridge. Right. That's the other thing in the polyamory community is like the post breakup shit talking. It's really a tight knit small community. So if you've got some bad situation that just went down and happened, sure. Your experience with this person might've been garbage, but it doesn't mean that they were garbage. And if you start running your mouth in the polyamorous communities, it's not going to go so well for you. No. Okay, so last one, because okay. we've got to wrap this up. Okay. And this is kind of a complicated one to wrap up on. But polyamory hurts the children involved. Uh. So what I'm talking about specifically is you start dating somebody who has kids from a different relationship. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're dating one of a couple who have kids together. Right. And now the kids are confused and they're lost. And who's this weird stranger that suddenly having sex with my mom or dad or (laughs) Or they're just over for barbecues all the time. Right. (laughs) This is a, this is a pretty big one where people assume that polyamory is psychologically damaging to the children of the adults practicing polyamory. And I think that there's a possibility that this is true. It's gotta be situational, right? Situational. And I think where this would become true is where maybe the the parents are not being open and honest with their kids on what things look like mm-hmm. or what's acceptable because they're too worried that the kids are going to get too much input from, you know, their schools or their grandparents or whatever peers right. that they have. And so a lot of stuff gets hidden. Well, and a lot of that depends on the child's age, too, and how much they're open with the kid and, you know, that kind of a thing. So there's a lot of factors that go into right. it. I think where this becomes a myth is I can have open and honest discussions with my children. Mm -hmm. I've been able to since they were teeny because I try to be as open with them as possible about all things in life Yeah, and help them have an open-minded view of the world and understand that certain things, while may not be seen as acceptable, ultimately, if they're not hurting anybody, they're okay. Mm -hmm. Like I remember having conversations with my children when they were little about different religions and how just because... You know, little Timmy here in your class 
believes in this religion doesn't mean that this kid over here is not allowed to believe in their family religion. Right. And so having open discussions with your kids about what's acceptable, mm -hmm. not socially acceptable, but good for the family or okay for the right. family. That's where it becomes a myth. If you can do that with your kids about all things, then explaining that having another adult person around is a good thing. I mean, it it's gives, just more love. It's more love. It gives the kids more role models. Mm -hmm. It gives the kids more protective circle. Yep. There's a network of adults that the kids can trust better and, and believe in better. And having been someone, so again, I don't have kids. I've said that multiple times on past episodes. I don't want children of my own. I do, however, love dating people who have kids. I've done it multiple times. And I can remember my ex-girlfriend when I was dating her and her husband and I was living in their home. Mm -hmm. and they had two like preteen, now they're teen kids. Well, now they're like, I don't know, 16 and 18. And I have not been with her for a few years. So they've grown up. I'm sure it's hard on the kids when relationships end because right. now this person's moved out and they're gone and they're out of our life when they were here for so many years. But again, I think that's that open conversation and it teaches the kids how to handle loss in not a death way, but in a relationships come and go kind of a way. Right. And now that they're getting older and they're even on Facebook, I'm like, huh, maybe I can reconnect with these young adults and see what's happened. Um, cause again, I still talk to their mom and everything's good. But then when I got with you at the time you had, how old were the kids? I think 15 and 19 and 19. And then your oldest daughter was like 23 she or was something. Super old. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like in her early to mid twenties. She was like 24, 25. Yeah. 24. Yeah. So she was out of the house, has her own kids but your 15-year-old daughter and your 19-year-old son were still in the house. Right. So I went from one relationship that had some preteen kids into a house that had some older teenagers that very much had their own sass and attitude and beliefs kind of built in already. Yeah. So that was an interesting transition, but they also grew up in a house where... You know, you guys hosted parties a lot and there were some hooking up here and there with, you know, your wife and you and friends that happened. So the kids understood some of these dynamics. So it's not like I came in and you had to lie to them about who I was or teach them from that get go who right. I was. And I didn't get judgments on that end from the teenagers. And then now two of your three, your daughters have kids of their own. So I've gotten to come in and watch the grandkids grow up in a polyamorous family, whereas not everyone's poly. Right. But the kids will understand that there's multiple adults involved. Well, and I think what you're talking about a little bit when you mentioned my wife and I spending time with people at our mm -hmm. parties or, or people that we were close with, it brought me to the concept of, well, how open and honest do you need to be with your kids? And this is where I think maybe some people get confused because they go back to like poly people being slutty or, right. or like it being all about orgies and stuff. You can be open and honest with your kids and talk about how you have feelings for someone and you don't have to talk about bedroom stuff. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that should be an unspoken thing. But mm -hmm. the more I've heard it, the more it's like, no, you can be open with your, your kids by saying, you know, I really care for this person or I love this person you know, in the same way that I'd love your mom or in a way similar to the way I'd love your yeah. mom or whatever. But you don't have to talk about the dirty stuff. Like that's not something the kids need to talk right. about anyway. So it's not even, it's not a factor in the kid's life until you make it a factor in the kid's life. Yeah. So you can, you can talk about the romantic side or the, the heart side. And that's all the, the child is going to need to know right. until they start asking questions. It's when you start leading them, and start explaining things that they don't need Overshare. to hear. Overshare. Overshare. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because I've definitely seen... I've seen some really well-adjusted kids who, by the time they're in their teens and they're out in life and maybe they're thinking about dating, they grew up in 
loving poly households and they have a pretty good understanding of relationships and how to communicate more so than we ever did growing up Mm -hmm. in monogamous households and not knowing what this was. So they're going out into the world with a better understanding of themselves and how relationships work. So I've seen a lot of good coming from kids growing up in polyamorous households. Right. And even two out of my three children have explored polyamory Mm -hmm. on their own. Yeah. And to whatever degree of success that they've had, that's what they did. But they were open-minded enough to try to have an educated stance on mm-hmm. it while exploring it. And for me, that's that's the greatest thing because I gave them education while they grew up so that when they were old enough to make their own decisions, they weren't going in blind. They knew this was a thing. Right. They They had some kind of education on it so that they could experience it maybe better than I did when I was first experiencing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, you could explain death to your kid in the wrong way that it fucks them up. (laughs) Right. So I think it's all about your relationship with your kids, how you explain and teach things, what age they're at, and how deep into the topic you go. You know, I think it's all, again, very situational. And if you want to get a therapist involved and have a a third-party mediator, by all means, go for it. We're super big advocates for therapy. But in general, will polyamory hurt the kids? No. No, it won't. It'll give them more opportunity to have good things in their life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're going over time. So That was a really good episode, though. I had a lot of fun. Lots of myths busted about polyamory. (laughs) This whole busted thing, you're punching through the air. There's nothing. I'm just punching. It's fine. That's fair. (laughs) If you would like to discuss some more myths... You can hit up our typo phone. Yeah, you can text us or leave us a voicemail. Typo phone is area code 209-536-8976. 509-536-TYPO. We would also really appreciate it if you have the time. If you can jump over to Apple, make an account, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps boost the podcast up so other people who are searching for polyamory or ethical non-monogamy advice will be able to find the podcast easier. It doesn't kick back anything to us. We're not making any money off of this. We just want to make sure people can find it so it'll help them. Right. We like talking about this. A lot of people like learning about it. We want to be connected with the right people. Yep. So until then, I will post some updates from my surgery when I can, and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye, Polyam fam. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links. Or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And and love love without without limits. limits.